There we go, it should be recording now. No, what's that somewhere? Everybody free. Why do I got that high one? You went really high, really quickly. Hello and welcome. This is episode 10 of the Lion Learn to Write podcast with Andre Bright. Oh my George, we're in double digits. And today we're joined with Belinda again, who was actually in one of our previous episodes, but she's going to be interviewing me, talking about um, Become as an idea, but also in my own background. So yeah, it's a bit weird being on the other side, but here we go. Good evening. <laughs> oh, you're nervous. A little bit, a little bit, not going to lie. Um, so, mm-hmm. uh, this is going to go on an episode of The Lion, Raw. Absolutely. Learned to write. And so it does. And we thought it would be a great idea if Andre was interviewed on his own podcast so that he couldn't come up with some bait questions and then answer them very well. Mm. And as I interview as part of my um, job, Yes, my, indeed. My name is uh, Belinda Larty, by the way. Um, I may, thought it would be great yeah. to interview you. You may remember her from previous <laughs> episodes, <laughs> dropping those bars about nutrition and whatnot. And when you say we had the great idea... You agreed. I, I did agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, true. Eventually. Well, here we are. Here we are. It's happening for real. All right. Should yeah, we go? so yeah, I'm I'm ready. I'm here. I do have a little guide, but we'll okay. flow with it. But some just some questions to to kind of give us some focus. Cool, I'm yeah. ready. Cool. Yeah. So let's start with your name. My name is Andre mm-hmm. Dennis Ebola Bright. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, why were you called Andre? Um, that was I'm not sure if it was my mum or pops, but um, I was conceived in france well, okay. so um i was born in sierra leone but i believe that france was where the incubation began incubation <laughs> yeah exactly okay. so um and they were just fell um they were in france studying at the time and they kind of fell in 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 love with the country and everything and they wanted me to have a name that resem- that reminded them of that period That's of their so lives sweet. i am very sweet That's okay. so it's just an embodiment of me really so, yeah. Um, and not that Andre isn't a great name, but there was another name in there that had a kick. It wasn't Dennis before you try it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. No offense. No, none taken. Yeah. Um, wh- what's your Yoruba name, and please tell us why you have a Yoruba name. Oh, so you jo- yes, yes. So Ebola, that's um, that was a name given to me by my grandma, who um, is uh, Yoruba. So she is i think i'm not i mean different different um countries and cultures and stuff have different like naming ceremonies and stuff so various people have like a a say in what names um an individual will have and my grandma's um suggestion was that and it means god's gift or gift from god or something Mm -hmm. along those lines um and 
Yeah, and she was right. Mm. Absolutely, mm. absolutely right. Um, <laughs> and it's it's funny because when I f- I didn't know that okay. until maybe a few years ago, when I started to have conversations with her about that kind of like heritage and 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 history and all that kind of stuff. Curious about further back than I was um available to. So, um. When she told me, I was like, so I can literally say I'm God's gift. She said yes. So that is what I am. Thank you, Grandma, for that. Yes, I thank her daily. Okay. Uh, mm. Great insight. I think it says a lot about your um, personality. <laughs> okay. Right, yeah. How would you describe yourself? Okay. How would I... Yeah, okay. Do you know, it's weird. One of those questions where it seems easy at first until you actually try. Mm-hmm. Um... I would describe myself as a, I used to have this tagline for myself, a statistic non-conformist. Who makes <laughs> taglines for themselves? Listen, okay. you don't know about me yet. <laughs> I'm <about to> tell, <laughs> tell me, please. So, um, just because, like, so for example, my mum worked um, really hard. And what I realised as, as, as I, I guess with everyone, as you grow up, you kind of realise and you see things from a different gaze. Um, and it went from being a kid to an adult, and I realized the kind of sacrifices she gave. And she has two sons mm. who are black. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, and both of us are doing really well. And I think it's partly because of her, her like tenacity and, and her drive and everything. And the reason why I say statistic non-conformist is because at the time when I came up with that phrase, it was kind of um, when I was being, when it was being made known to me that a lot of people with my characteristics in terms of demographic Mm -hmm. were not in the categories that I was finding myself in, Mm. Um, just in terms of conversations and stuff. But yeah, that's where that came from. But in terms of who I am, I'd say I'm a creative like in the sense that I like to create, um, I have a lot of ideas, but I feel like I'm I'm not necessarily excited until I'm actually putting them into action. Um, and I like I would say I used to say like a bit of an artivist. I use my art to tell a bit of a story or a narrative or or a message of mm. why whether it's who I am or what I see in the world. So, um, yeah, a bit of an artist, statistic, non-conformist, and God's gift mm. in, in, in general um, is who I am. I'm also Sierra Leonean. Okay. That is, that is a big part of my identity that is kind of um, something that has become more and more um, significant as the years have gone by. Um, it was, obviously, I was born there, 1985, and that came to UK before Sierra Leone Civil War began and just had really weird like teething pains like coming into the UK environment nothing really made sense and then as I started to infiltrate that kind of world got a bit more comfortable and then um and yeah it was brilliant like learned a lot about myself as a kid I was very I was quite shy which a lot of people don't really believe but um I kind of overrid that shyness with action, so I'd be the first to put my hand out um, to introduce myself and little things like that, which 
brought me out of my shell and now I just like people and making a difference really so um what's interesting is that you were shy and then you said you overrode that with some actions but what how did you start making that step because if someone is shy it's usually quite difficult to just start doing it so there might be someone listening or something that's just like Mm. I want to break up my shell a bit. So, are there any practical tips that you can give um, about how to start making that move? The f- the first thing was just being aware. Like, I, I'm I love people watching, and that's one of the things I like about London, just in general. But um, one of the things I saw was that I had an idea of not a clear one, but I kind of an I- idea what what kind of person I would have liked to be. And I realised that that kind of person were usually part of the relatively popular crowd. Mm. And then I started to pay attention to what made those people them. Mm. And little things like they were relatively confident, they would walk into a room and they would have the attention of people. Sometimes it would be little things like clothes and stuff, but then I started to pay attention. Even as a kid, I was more aware that, especially in a grander sense, or not just in school, the people who were doing a lot of stuff were the people who managed to um, hold attention and then I started to look at really basically the nuanced characteristics of people's um, body language Mm. so they maintained eye contact Um, they were their voices were relatively not exactly loud but they were short they sounded short Mm. even if they weren't they managed to have a kind of tone that was that kind of demanded attention and it wasn't anything to do with their like height or build or anything like that, because I could see these characteristics in anyone. But then you'd see the complete opposite in the person in the corner, who I was at the time. Mm. So the people who would prefer to be in a in their kind of own space, which I still do. I, I not exactly prefer, but I'm just as comfortable in my own space as I am with other people. Um, but now when I need to switch that on and network and all that kind of stuff. I literally talk myself through in my head what I'm going to do. It's like um, Sherlock Holmes movie, right? When he's about to have a fight scene, he literally plans the entire fight in his head, mm. right? That's like me with social interaction. <laughs> it sounds crazy, but like as I'll be like, okay, cool. So, okay, I'll give you an example. When I went to secondary school, I moved on my birthday. Mum, it's fine. I've forgiven you. I can tell. Yeah. Totally so. <laughs> Definitely let that go. Definitely let it go. It's in the past. Mm. But I went to, it was halfway through year eight, which means that people have had a year and a half to form their friendship groups. And so this is me in year eight walking into a school where I'm already, I can see, before I even walk through the gates, now I'm like going to be the only black person. Um, and everyone's already, physically I can see clicks. So I can see small groups of people who are obviously friends. And um, I was like, okay, cool. So I don't want to be that character where I'm just in a corner. So I said to myself, okay, whenever I'm introduced to someone or if I can see a group of people who maintain eye contact for more than two or three seconds, I will walk towards them and I'll put my hand out and i say, I'm Andre. And you were doing that when you were 12? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I just made it a habit. Um, there's this book, I can't, I can't remember how exactly the wording is phrased, but it's something about... 100 no's, 100 rejections. And the writer was basically saying that he recognised that um, when his business basically wasn't growing and it was because he had the fear of rejection. And so he decided he would go out seeking rejection 
to overcome that fear. Mm -hmm. And by the time he got to about 50 or 60, he realized he wasn't being rejected from mm -hmm. even the most ridiculous things. So like he'd show up at someone's house and say with a football and stuff and be like, can I play in your back garden? <laughs> or like he'll ask a bouncer for like a hundred pounds and or like completely strangers and he'll pay for people's who ask to pay for people's meals and stuff or ask for a discount in a really obscure place. And then he, what he said, what he said during the book was, and it became a blog in the end, is that at the beginning he was relatively, you could almost see his fear <laughs> going into these situations. But as he became more confident, people, instead of just saying no full out, they'll just be more curious as to why, if anything. So, for example, if he asked a random bloke that, broke a random guy in a in a street for a hundred pound they'll be like more they'll be more inclined to ask why as opposed to just no get away from me what kind of ridiculous person are you um and i found that kind of thing really works once you really get into habit of not being scared of the no you're more confident going in to ask for or um when you walk into any kind of circle mm. and I actually tried it with a friend of mine we went to south bank and we were literally looking for rejection so we were both single London the is time. the place for it. London is the place for it. I mean, they, you can get, find rejection anywhere. <laughs> so um, our our task was to get a personal piece of information from a complete stranger. Okay. So it was like whether you go for like a, a group of people and you're trying to find birthdays or like, you know, favorite color or something like that from someone you completely don't know. And what what we found at first is like we went straight in asking for a, a thing, which never worked. What usually worked is you just say, start a conversation based on random thing. Oh, I like your trainers or your, or something like that. And then it, that builds conversation. And then during that, people start to feel more comfortable. Like my hardest one was uh, two um, Chinese girls who didn't really speak English very mm -hmm. well. Um, and Did you communicate through the medium of dance? No, unfortunately, I should have. Uh. But I did talk about dance because they were in South Bank and they'd just come back from a show. Mm. And I asked them about that and they were like, oh, that's amazing. I actually went um, and I was like, where are you from? And they was like, oh, China. I was like, oh, what part? And they can't remember what they said. But I was, it happened to be a place where um, I had a friend of mine from uni and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I've been meaning to go visit them for ages. And they were like, oh, yeah, next time you come, you should you give me, get in touch and all this kind of stuff. And, and it was weird because like, I, I found out where exactly in China they were from. I found out what they'd just been watching and why they enjoyed it and why they didn't um, and all this kind of stuff. But it all started from me just walking over and putting my hand out and saying, hey, what, what are you actually, what mm. are you here for? <laughs> like, mm. you know. So, yeah, um, that's what I'd, I'd suggest to people who have problems with that. Just kind of repeatedly put yourself in positions where you have to step out of that comfort zone and prep yourself beforehand if necessary. Mm -hmm. Like give yourself an idea of what you're gonna say or do before you get into the, into the place. But then once you're in it, I find anyway, the hardest part is breaking that initial contact. Once you've broken that contact, just talk. Everyone mm -hmm. is human. Like the worst thing that, that can happen is, well actually no, the worst, worst could be all kinds of things. <laughs> this is London after all, there's some crazy people out here. But the chances are it's not actually going to happen. And if it, if it does, then you can still walk away with your life intact. Mm. <laughs> so Ideally. Ideally, yeah. Um, okay, I'm going to switch up a bit. And I have this question already prepared, but you already touched on it. What does okay. it mean to be Sierra Leonean? Hey, okay, that's an interesting question, actually. Uh, 
I don't know is the is the okay. short answer. Um, I can tell you what it is for me, yeah. but that might be different for the next person. Let's start with you. Okay, let's start with me. So for me, Sierra Leonean is like Sierra Leone in itself has such a long and like I say the history of Sierra Leone needs to be in a book mm-hmm. or on screen or something. It's it's really significant in the in in terms of its um nutrition, as in there's plants in Sierra Leone that you literally do not find anywhere else in the world. And it sounds really whatever to say that, but statistically we have like rainforest, marshland and everything where mm. once you get to the borders you don't actually find it in neighbouring countries. And which means that our food is very unique. Mm. Like cassava leaves, for example, mm-hmm. right? You can have cassava leaves from anywhere else in the world, but they won't taste the same as ours because of the formation of the ground, the soil, all that okay. kind of stuff. It's rich in, well, used to be rich in gold, diamonds, rubies. Um, and there's historically, it's, um, it's where the first, where well, I was born in Freetown, where the first slaves were freed. So those who fought against the Americans for the British and they were promised their freedom were taken to Sierra Leone first mm. and that colony was formed and they formed the Creoles who mm. I'm a descendant of mm-hmm. um, and then some of them of went of course you're a descendant of rebels <laughs> yes we rebel that's what we do we do our own thing um, and but it's also a place where it's just been misunderstood I I feel like there's in its recent history, there hasn't been more than five, ten years when there hasn't been a major human or natural disaster. So we had civil war for ten years, we had Ebola, we mm. had landslides and all that mm. kind of stuff. But unfortunately, that those are the things that most of the world thinks of when they think of Sierra Leone. Mm. But what I've found is that most people who have a negative overall outlook are either the people who lived in the time of prosperity and saw it decline, or the people who have never been there before mm. physically. And um, usually if people, even if they have a negative outlook, once they visit in person, they usually come out with a positive outlook, even Mm. if they've had negative experiences. Mm. And I find that interesting because I've seen people go to other parts of the world and they might have a negative experience and then it clouds their entire look Mm. on the whole um, experience. But what you find is people who go to Sierra Leone, even if they did have a negative experience, it wouldn't cloud their overall thing. We were voted the friendliest, most welcoming nation. Who 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 participated? What's the sample? Um, basically, the same sample that made us the 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 winners of the Jollof competition. So basically, it was just so, Sierra um, so, <laughs> no, so Look it up. All, look it up. Or like a hundred of you. Listen, I wasn't even there, so I'm not even biased. I'm just. I'm, hey, don't kill the messenger, girl. <laughs> no, we need um, to find. I do research. Yeah. We need to find the stats. Yes, we need you to find are the a sample. researcher. Actually. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would have loved to be part of that, just eating jollof all day. <laughs> but um, but yeah, for me, being Leonean is being being proud of my heritage, being um, being Pan African for me, mm-hmm. and I say that because that one is for me because I I don't know if every every Sierra Leonean would feel that way, but for me, because of the history, um, especially pre-slavery, I just don't know, and so I could be from anywhere Mm, mm. and so that's why for me maybe I connect with all of 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 the Africas (laughs) (laughs) in in that sense um and and like part part of our emblem is is about freedom unity and justice and I feel like those have kind of trickled down to my own 
um, morals and sense of guidance in 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 day to day as well. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of for me what it means to be Sierra Leonean: being welcoming, smiling a lot, and and just persevering. Like mm-hmm. through through it all, we are still here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. Cool. I think it's good because I think a lot of people don't know anything about Sierra Leone at all. So, and we're not a large country, to no, be fair. That's part and of it. yeah, and I think we've got a really bad habit of letting other people tell our stories. Mm. So it's only now that, specifically, the younger generation with with perform um, with social media and stuff are starting to give another balance to the narrative because all the stuff you see on news, we can't deny it happens, right? Mm. It is true. But the problem with the news is if that's your only input, they only really talk about the negative. Mm-hmm. And then at the very end, they'll have like a dog story <laughs> or something like that. And we're never that dog story. Mm-hmm. So um, at least now we're, people are talking about the beaches. They're talking about the, the enterprises that are coming up. They're talking about um, all the companies and, and, and the president's doing some great things. And, and all kinds of stuff is going on. And there's lots of discussions. And we are... Sierra Leoneans as a whole are starting to be more proud, I feel. Mm. Like a lot of us are starting to speak up. And before I went to uni and, and I was, there were like three or four people who were Sierra Leonean and I didn't even know it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And now people are being a lot more outspoken. Um, Idris Elba's one of us, like Chadwick Boseman and, and all these kind of people. And, and, um, and I feel like now we're in a kind of time where Sierra Leoneans actually started to say so mm. we i don't know if we'll ever get to the point of being like nigerians and ghanaians who necessary. just stand on the top of mountains and <laughs> hi i'm i'm nigerian <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't ask <laughs> like, I, that's not why i'm i'm just need the time like it's 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 mad but um you know maybe we'll get there but still um yeah no i mean i've seen the pictures of the beaches so i need to find myself there very soon absolutely um, switching up totally because I, okay. I definitely randomise the questions on purpose because you know I like to yeah 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 keep it sharp what does dance mean to you? hey dance is a beautiful thing you mm-hmm. know dance is everything okay. but what I realise for me it, it's music that is my mm-hmm. ignition right yeah. music is what I, my actual passion is dance is just the output it's the expression it's the way I tell people what's kind of inside before I started to choreograph and all that kind of stuff dance for me was just a it was exercise. It was a way I enjoyed myself. It was um, it was just a way to communicate what was going on inside my head sometimes. Um, but it was also therapy. Mm. So, for example, if I there will be times when um, I've had a really hard day or a really good day, and I would just put on a track and I'd just go for it. Mm. One of the things I think about dance is amazing. Is um, they say dance is the uh, dancers are the athletes of God or something like that. Who's saying? Who says that? Einstein. Look it up. And um, <laughs> and uh, and and it's, so it's amazing for the body, but also for me, it's it. There's something about energies that happen when two people, two or more people, dance together. Like I remember, I will never forget it. I was in Japan, and I didn't speak a lick of Japanese. Mm-hmm. Right. I danced with this guy for three hours, and I felt like I knew him better than anyone else I actually knew at the time <laughs> and it sounds ridiculous but there's something about an exchange between another person like in in our street dance um, circles we call them like ciphers in um, in breaking and hip-hop for example 
but the cipher is built around the concept of a circle and if you look at circles in a lot of cultures they're used to describe the infinite they used to describe something spiritual they used to like whenever there's a ceremony it's always done in a circle mm. when you have drummings they're done in a circle there's something about that circle that allows like almost a multiplication of energy within it and when even if it's just the two of you there's something about the fact that there's just these this exchange of energy so when i for me when you ask what dance is it's mm. it's like a way to communicate it's a way to commune um it's a way to express um and it's a way to deal with things like there's been times when da- there's been dances which have sprung out of frustration and everything and and you just need an outlet and and you keep going like when i when i used to dance um when i used to train like when i was really really training it there'll be like a, almost a fine line between training and and expression because you'll be working on something but we use drills a lot mm-hmm. right and there's something about going to exhaustion mm. um and like for example i i started off as a freestyler before i came into choreography and all that kind of stuff so i'd learn the foundation and and I'll put music on and I'll just dance without instruction and there's a moment when you completely lose yourself um and I find that it's very difficult to get to that stage with other things um <laughs> I mean I think everyone will probably have their own th- version of that mm. but you completely mm. forget the fact that you're on on earth almost do you know what I mean and whatever problems that were completely like making you immobilized beforehand are completely insignificant and um and it's just you and the rhythm the bass the the vibrations and all that kind of stuff and in that moment you completely lose yourself and it's really therapeutic because after it you can be completely exhausted your bones be hurt and you're aching but you feel released mm. from whatever it was that was there mm. um and yeah like for me dance is dance is everything man it's 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 awesome um yeah and it's connection as well i guess was the word i was trying to look for earlier whether oh there's been times right mm-hmm. so you set me down on this path it's all now right. go down go down there's been time there've been times when um that i watched this i watched this ted talk and she one of my favorite ted talks right um from the woman who wrote eat pray love i can't remember her name now yeah um and she talks about this moment where everything aligns with the person on the stage and they could have danced the same show a thousand times but there's something about this one time where just the stars planets align and everything mm-hmm. and they're just like wow and and they they would say i think at the time it was in spain and they would basically say ole which is like that's god kind mm. of thing and um there's connection with you and yourself with dance this connection with you and the other person that's dancing but then also there's also a connection with you and sometimes like just the outside world exp- like nature that just mm. i can't even describe <laughs> it there's just something something in the air wow like yeah i know mm-hmm. no it's mad mm. even little things like your senses get heightened like um like a cat you become like a cat when you're dancing yes 100% i've seen it so many times when little things like someone will slip or trip or something like that and they're so attuned with their own body weight their balance mm. and all that kind of stuff that 
the way they'll come out of it is the way that only a dancer will understand. Um, I remember coming out of a club once and I tripped over the entrance. Listen, Reading, uh, I can't remember what the name of the union was. That that little thing is that little trip hazard there. Oh, anyway, I tripped. If anyone here is working there, please do get that. Uh, exactly. Health and safety. <laughs> I work in that as well. Um, I fell over, but then I did what we call a resurrection. Amen. Just just in terms of, amen, <laughs> just literally fell over and came back up again before most people had even noticed I'd fallen. But that was only because, like, I was so, it was, I can't remember what was going on that night, but I remember everything was heightened that day. Mm. And I was just on it, like, paying attention to everything, apart from that little... <laughs> that slip. You never asperated it. Never asperated it. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, dance could be everything, man. What do you think? Difficult question, but what do you think you'd be like without dance in your life? Um, to be honest with you, I'd probably just have something else. Okay. Um, I, I don't, like I said, I'm a bit, I'm a creative, so I have to have an outlet. I don't think, if, if it wasn't dance, I think it would probably be replaced with something else. But I can't imagine a version of me without some kind of outlet like that. Okay. I know there's some people who don't need it. Um, but for me, I feel like I've always needed to express myself in some way. I was always at the back of the class sketching or like which turned into architecture and uh, or dancing, whatever the music came on. Like, you know, when you go to your aunt's house and they say, oh, do that thing you do and they'll play music. And then it's like a <laughs> like a little X Factor style thing. You have one one person who's doing the singing, one person who's doing the dancing and mm. everyone's just clapping at these kids who at the time you're thinking, oh, they'll grow out of it. But. <laughs> but here we are into it. exactly i was just getting warmed up um okay so yeah i th- I feel like there would always be something if it wasn't dance it would be something else it's interesting that you mentioned architecture there because i think my next question was about that okay and um i mean tell me something that people don't know about architecture architecture can affect your mood and you can design it that way Tell me, tell me more. So, tell me more, tell me more. I will. <laughs> so, um, okay, so let's, let's imagine how you feel in um, your bedroom, mm-hmm. right? So, let's assume, for example, and this is to you lot listening at home mm-hmm. as well, wherever you are, um, imagine your room with no windows. Why? Exactly. You feel that anxiety <laughs> that came over your head just why a minute ago. Like, that? why would you take away the windows? Like, why is window? Why are windows important? Air, light, hope. Right. Es- escape route. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, like reflection. Mm-hmm. Mm. Exactly. Now imagine the the walls are black. I don't like this game. Play <laughs> another game, please. Right. Okay. Cool. I mean, it's so, not a bedroom, by the way. I'm sure bedroom. I know. Like, no, I mean, I know that's just prison. Actually, <laughs> now that's that's yeah. solitary confinement. But the point I'm making is that there's there's certain things that we take for granted in the design of everything. Like, first of all, everyone is is a designer, right? At some level, you design the clothes you wear on whichever day. You design your your room. Like, even even if it's a mess, it's actually a design because it's often a reflection of what's inside, right? It can be like a Jackson Pollock mess. Exactly. Mm. Yes, yes. Let's go with that. <laughs> <laughs> That's, everyone at home is going to be using that as justification now. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's, it, everyone, everyone is a designer in that level. When it comes to, because um, I, I studied architectural engineering as an undergrad, but then 
the one module that really stuck out to me was sustainability mm. and most people attribute sustainability to the environment right so you're thinking about um cradle to cradle um construction you're thinking about solar panels and stuff and reducing your carbon footprint and all that kind of stuff but that's only one element so that's the environmental element the other two elements are economic and um social mm. all right economic is how affordable it is um is it going to be able to last in terms of um keeping it going and you can apply this to anything not just buildings right but the social part was what really swung it for me because it was a whole study of how the building affects the environment how the environment affects you mm. and how you interact with the building mm. all of them together so we learned about how to for example if you're because i'm going to say architecture in the grander sense so it's not just in terms of a physical building but it's also landscape architecture for example think about your favorite parks what makes it your favorite park like a lot of the times it's got certain types of spaces mm -hmm. certain types of colors certain types of ways that you can interact with the space um if you're in your if you're in a church for example there's a reason why the the ceilings are so high mm -hmm. there's a reason why it seems imposing there's a reason why the doors are so heavy there's a reason why you it's shaped like a cross mm. like from from the outs from the outside and the inside um there's a reason why there's stained glass windows that you don't have in other types of um building mm. um you have things like sight lines so for example if i'm standing at the um arc de triomphe in paris i can see all the way down to the eiffel tower in one direction i can see all the way down to the sacre coeur in another direction like everything is designed for you to feel a certain way okay. um, and you can design it but when you're actually walking through it you can be completely oblivious there was one study that was done and it, i say study but it was actually built this way um when you're standing somewhere and this this freaked me out it didn't freak me out but i was like it made sense mathematically and um but it was basically if you imagine how the eye works there's a lot of information it takes mm -hmm. in right and sorry if I get boring and geeky on you, but this is just me, <laughs> right? So there's a lot of information it takes in um, and you don't realize you're taking in. But for example, perception of depth. If I'm standing here and I see columns, I will automatically be thinking how far this corridor is based on the spaces between the columns. Okay. I'm assuming the spaces are regular. Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. So for example, I'll be like, okay, cool. It looks about two meters between each gap, so it's 12 pillars, so it's basically about 24 meters, right? Yeah, okay. Like, I mean, just as a general thing, mm -hmm. right? So one architect had a very small um, plot of land to be able to build on, but they wanted it to feel larger. Mm. So what they did was they manipulated the spaces between these pillars. So when you're standing there, it actually looks like double the depth, but as you walk, you immediately become overwhelmed by this claustrophobic feeling because on the other side it looks half the space okay because the spaces get um, gradually smaller between them as you go so from one side of the room it looks like a never-ending corridor from the other side of the room it feels like you're inside a box mm. and the whole idea i can't remember if it was a museum or whatever but they wanted to have something they, they wanted you to feel different as you went through okay. the space and they wanted that so um it what people yeah so answering your question 
um, one thing that people sometimes don't know about architecture is that you can design it for the person using it to feel a certain way. Mm. It makes sense when you say it, but yeah, you're right. I wouldn't have thought about that mm. when I thought about architecture. Absolutely. You've done well. Thank you. Thank you, yeah. A star. All right, calm down. Okay. I'm still taking an A star. Though. Well, anyway, mm-hmm. we'll discuss grades later. Uh, another curveball. Right. I feel like a Batman here. Really. What's your favourite food? My favourite food? <laughs> cassava leaves <laughs> with rice and just any kind of meat. Wow, you really have to think about that. Yeah, I know. Why is it your favourite food? Um, I could just have that. Why are you bouncing off Do you know what? I feel, I feel like, yeah, I know, I, I'm literally smiling just <laughs> thinking about it, right? Cassava leaves is just so nice. It's like a staple food in Sierra Leone, mm-hmm. right? So... Any Sierra Leonean who says they've never heard of cassava leaves is probably not Sierra Leonean. Yeah. So um, it's just awesome. It's it's green. So it's like for those for those who don't know, it it's kind of like um, spinach in a sense. That's probably like the closest thing I can imagine. It's the leaves of the cassava plant, which can be used by itself in so many different ways. But you you boil it, you season it, you all that kind of stuff and it just makes this sauce that is just like when I was when I was younger in um when we lived in Birmingham we used to just have a pot and it would just be half of it with just rice and half of it with cassava leaves and you'd just be going in <laughs> and it would have different meats in it, you can have chicken in it, whatever. It's based with fish in terms of when you're making the stew a okay. lot of the time, palm oil, um and it's just it's just got everything. Mm. Like we used to, we used to douse it in Maggie sauce until we figured out how to make it properly. So you don't need that extra kind of like seasoning. Yeah, um, seasoning. Yeah, like yeah. MSG and all the other stuff. All, all them kind of thing there. So yeah, that's my favorite food right there. I'm glad you brought it up. I can tell. A little side order of, of super. I'm particularly glad that you are so excited about a dish that's based on vegetables, and it <laughs> makes me think there's hope for you. Listen, yeah. <laughs> That's the most important takeaway. First of all, there's always hope, yeah. (laughs) But, yeah, it's cassava leaves. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Mm. Point taken. Absolutely. Um, What what advice would you give your 18-year-old self? Interesting. Um, Okay, so 18 years old, about to go uni and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff so you know what advice you knew this yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to put it in context my 18 year old self you know my 18 year old self i would i would say just enjoy like life is there to be enjoyed i think at that time i was already um kind of thinking that but i think i think my 18 year old self didn't maybe realize the potential of what he could achieve and that's me talking to the 18-year-old self and the 33, 34-year-old mm-hmm. self. Sorry. <laughs> passport age. I know, right? Passport <laughs> age. Like, how I feel inside. Um, yeah, I think because at 18, I was, I think I was becoming the person who I was and everything, but I was heading into uni and uni did all kinds of madness. I think the uni did the madness, not you. Absolutely, but it was uni the, did the it, uni. It was the external forces. Okay, absolutely. Because okay. I think at uni, I was kind of overwhelmed with this freedom mm-hmm. and just being bombarded by these options that I only I have control over. And I think I actually thinking about that. The only thing I would say is to to him is that um, 
just figure out, decide on your limits. So what I mean by that is like, in terms of morally, so what is your code? So you're like, talking about boundaries or? Yeah, boundaries, I guess, in a way, will be another word for okay. it. So like decide on that beforehand, like decide what you will and won't do. Decide on what um, what kind of person you want to be. Because mm. I think to anyone going into uni or any kind of different environment, it can be, especially when you're, you're not prepared and you're given... I saw, I saw, I, I read this, uh, not read, I listened to this um, interview once and the guy was basically saying <laughs> that he would think through any possible outcome and decide what his response would be before it happened. Okay. So, for example, if if I'm sitting there and I have a newborn baby, Mm-mm. right, he would think to himself, like, every opportunity, what decisions could be, could I have to make and what would I want to make in those decisions? I mean, obviously, things could change. As you, mm. you know, you, you usually base your decisions based on what you know at the time. Mm. So they might find out something new later. But what he tried to avoid was being caught off guard by a situation that could, that could happen. And I think you're always going to be caught off guard. Mm-hmm. But if you get in the habit of making these decisions, you solidify the kind of person you are quicker. That's interesting. I'm not sure I entirely agree with it. but Let's go. I just feel like what a lot of time people saying, if that happened to me, mm. I wouldn't do this or I would do that, right? And then when you're in the reality of the situation, you're like, oh, this is fire. Let me rethink mm. my... Mm. So what jumps to mind is when people say things like, look, if some man cheated on me, yeah? Yeah. He'd be out, I wouldn't have it. And, the, and when you're mm. in that situation, you have to consider everything. Mm. The situation that it happened in, where you guys were at that stage, or just a whole bunch of things that might mean you say, let's work through this, which you would think that mm. you mm. would never do. True. So you can think. I think you can think through loads of scenarios and stuff, and I think it's good to think about it. And then, because even when you think through scenarios, mm. you can be like, "Oh, that makes me feel really uncomfortable. Why does that even think mm. through what that means?" But sometimes I think stuff happens, and you're like, "Well, so who am I in this situation?" Mm. But so I kind of understand it. But I feel like when things yeah. happen, no, I mean, like I said, anything could happen. But I think for for me anyway, um, through my experiences, the more Really, it's more about asking questions. I think I've I've got a lot of value from asking myself questions about stuff a lot. So it's like, why do I feel like that? Or mm-hmm. why would this bother me? And all that kind of stuff. And getting answers to those questions help me when other situa- situations mm. come along. Because I genuinely feel like if, like right now, in the period of time I'm in, I'm very curious about myself and the world. Um, but I'm also trying to be aware um, of myself and the world, <laughs> right? I was trying to find a different phrase, that. but but yeah, just trying to be aware of myself and the world in, in a sense of, like, you know, trying to understand myself. And the more I understand myself, the more I can stand on certain principles, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, and as, so as situations come up, I'm more, I feel like I'm more equipped to to deal with them in a way that the old or future self will be happy with. Okay. Whereas beforehand, like going into uni, I hadn't asked myself any of those questions. Mm-hmm. Like I'd, it was almost like, okay, 
mum had installed all this stuff in me up till now, but this is my chance to try everything. <laughs> and it was like just open to whatever, which which could be cool. And I guess like twenties are, for example, are a good stage to kind of like learn the world and try different experiences and stuff. But I just found that at that time, I was like, just anything goes. And okay. um, and I think if I'd had those conversations myself, then I would have been more directed mm. in certain situations. Mm. So, yeah. Okay. Being careful. Mm. Uh, what does success mean to you? Success mm-hmm. for me is, I guess, um, like I'll use Nina Simone's example of okay. being, having a lack of fear. Okay. So, like I don't have to worry about money, I don't have to worry about security, I don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Like, I can make decisions based on, without without fear, because I feel, I feel like, a lot of the times decisions are made from a place of fear as opposed to love yeah. or anything like that. So, for example, if I want to take a kid to school, it's like, which one can I afford or am I in a catchment area what? and all this kind of stuff. Which Not kid my can, kid. Okay, but there were so <laughs> many questions. Right, but, or, for example, if, if I want to go to a certain place for a holiday, it's like, again, which one can I afford or what's happening here and, and or if I want to start a business, it's like, do I have the contacts or the capital mm-hmm. or all that kind of stuff? For me, being um, successful would be reaching a place where those kind of things aren't part of my decision-making process. Mm-hmm. Like there's, even if even if they are still an issue, they're not something that will limit my decision-making. Mm. Um, that that would be, for me anyway, at a simple level. Okay. What success is? Yeah. Nice. What would it be for you? Um, I think freedom is a big element of that, mm-hmm. like you mentioned. I think, um, very similar to what you said, actually, just having a boldness to mm. be, to, to enjoy my freeness and, um, and just, yeah, I know I said this a lot, but leading in love, that's success. Mm. Being, mm. And being at peace with it. So it means that other people won't always agree. But just having a peace with yourself, I think. Right. Yeah. So, Yeah. Laugh, I hear that. Laughing daily. Yeah, laughing daily. That's, That's a good success. one. I think in that case, I'm very successful. When was the last time you laughed until oh, you were like, belly. I can't, this is how I'm going to die? Okay, do you know what? First of all, it wasn't recent. Right? <laughs> I laugh a lot, but uh, my, my average, I think my average laugh level is, is above most. What, but what I is don't that think... based on? Is that based on frequency? Is that ba- based on depth? This, a bit of both. Okay, interesting. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, Big yeah. claim. I laugh a lot. Mostly when I'm alone. <laughs> like, That's scary. I am hilarious. <laughs> I don't think you you realise. Um, but there was one time I definitely remember that happening. And obviously this wasn't the last time. I'm sure there were times since then. But I remember being at a school trip. Oh, you right? told me about this. this oh, it's not mean. It was just so funny. <laughs> but, you know, it was, it wasn't just at the time. Because, you know, basically we were on a trip. Dude opened the door, he got blown by a wind by the wind, literally cleaned him straight off his feet and he landed on the floor and just like went underneath the bed for protection. 
<laughs> it was just like none of it made sense and it was just hilarious but what was really funny was like a year afterwards when we were talking about it <laughs> and I remember being in a park and I was literally crumpled on the floor in laughter tears streaming from my face and I was just like that I thought I could have died happily there like that was so brilliant. this is how it ends yeah, I was like, okay, cool, curtains, Andre from 1985. <laughs> it was crazy. He died happy. Yeah, exactly. He died laughing at this guy's pain. Um, okay, let's switch it up a bit. What, okay. what makes you angry? What makes me angry? Injustice! No, okay, you're just saying that. Um, what makes me angry? Do you know what? I, I don't get angry very often. Mm-hmm. Um... I don't know. Do you know? I yeah. I I find that difficult to explain to to answer. One because it doesn't happen very often, and two because it doesn't happen very often. I haven't had enough market research to see the trends. So like every time, every time I can think about being angry, it's been for something else. But I guess the only thing that's kind of underlying is usually if, for example, if um, I really appreciate when someone like integrity in a person yeah so if someone doesn't demonstrate that i can get kind of frustrated sometimes Mm -hmm. but it wouldn't necessarily make me angry but it's just like that will make me not basically take you as a serious human being Mm -hmm. so so if you say you're going to do something and then you don't for no real reason Mm -hmm. for example things like that really annoy me Mm -hmm. um but like anger would i guess would be things like disrespect in a way um i don't know i don't know mm. i don't know things make me uncomfortable things make me annoyed things make me frustrated but angry I, can i share an observation with you oh, i'm scared <laughs> go on in from what I've seen, the things that make you angry and also a, a bunch of other emotions is a, a, actually a bit of injustice. Mm. So what stands out to me is when recently you were learning about the um, the rise uh, or the, the high prevalence of sexual abuse against women in yeah. South Africa. Yeah, right. And you were kind of, you were livid. Yeah. But you were also like, how can we stop this from happen- happening? So maybe yeah. your anger is always mixed with other emotions, and so you don't just think I'm angry. But from th- that's the time when I've seen you angry. Yeah, and I th- and I think thinking about y- using that as an example, I think maybe one of the reasons why I don't necessarily recognize it as anger is because before it gets to the stage where I can really feel like I can categorize it like that, it usually turns into some kind of action mm. or channeling that energy in in a different way. So th- usually the times when I am kind of that way it usually switches me into kind of like solution mode like okay this is something i'm not happy with what am i going to do about it and if i can't do anything about it then why am i why is this killing me (laughs) basically (laughs) like let it go let it go but i mean that's the only thing i can think of because yeah you're right that that really and especially when you get into the real specific stories Mm -hmm. and stuff and you find out how people are Actually, yeah, yeah, I'd say that injustice whole thing. Like I, I was 
privy to a conversation recently and the same thing using that as an example happened in Sierra Leone with the mm-hmm. with the sexual violence against young girls and and I guess the way some of the men reacted with just like a lack of empathy in like it just infuriated me mm. and it's like that could be your daughter that could be your wife that could be your mum mm. and you're not responding with any kind of any kind of respect at all and it's like if it's not happening to your immediate um, people then you just don't care mm. and not only do you not care but you're almost encouraging it by making fun of it um and yeah so i guess i guess injustice and that's not making me sound like any kind of whatever but if i if i see it it, it that that is something that can really grind my gears as you say as you say as someone in the world might say <laughs> you just said it i said you it are that just person. now i am a him yeah um might sound like a weird question, but why do you think that that angers you so much when it doesn't have that impact on other people? What is it about Andre that gets particularly fired up about um, injustice against women, violence against women? Specifically and, the women thing. And women empowerment, yeah. Especially because you're a guy, so... Um, that, I'd say, is my mum. Mm-hmm. Like, and... Specifically my mum, but also the women who have raised me. Mm. Like, I, 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 I say I was raised by black women. You say you was raised, mm. okay. Because it's true. <laughs> <None of you laughs> like, <thought. laughs> that is why I say it, yeah. Um, and I say that because it's like my mum, my aunts, my cousins, all that kind of stuff. I've always been around really driven women of the African diaspora mm-hmm. and I just think they're God like they I just think they're they're awesome so when I see things happen against them I'm I'm like it doesn't compute in my head like I this is something I was completely oblivious to for a long period of time this whole um way people are uh are, are treating specifically black women and women in general as well but specifically black women for me and also by black men mm-hmm. um in specificity right because i was completely i just that's so beautifully that's such a difficult word to say it is not easy do you, do you, you hear the well. pause beforehand i have actually <laughs> <laughs> actually i actually have been practicing i'm like twice a week i usually try to bring it into conversation somehow i don't always win mm. um but yeah, like this, this whole thing has been needed. Like I remember having a conversation because I've always tried to try to be like confidant to friends and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes I'll hear something where inside I'm like, what? But on the surface, I've got to remain my cool <laughs> kind of collected self to, to be able to process what they're saying. But like, you know, whether it's um, the way a lot of black men view black women, that they don't respect them. They they wouldn't date them, that they, um, I don't know, just just all kinds of stuff. I was like, I remember, I'm um, clear as day. This dude, right? I kid you not. I was talking about Gaudem, yeah. Wow. And um, and I was I was just talking about this girl, and and she was black, and he was like, oh, why why do you like black girls? This was a black guy asking me. Mm-hmm. I was like, what do you mean? I, I, you know, it's one of these things where you're looking around like, I don't understand. What do you mean, why do I like black girls? It's like, and then the next bit, 
floored me. And he was like, but you're so successful. I was like, that, I was like, I had to stand there for a minute. And I was like, okay, now you've completely lost me. But the way he calculated in my head is that if you get successful, you date other girls. And for him, it was white girls. And I was like, I was completely baffed by that conversation. Like, if it had come from another demographic, I don't know if I would have felt the same way or whatever. I probably would have. But, like, the fact that it was coming from a black guy, mm -hmm. I was so baffed. And that really opened... It was like someone just slapped my face with reality. And I just started to question... Anyway, I can't even remember why I'm, I'm down that road, but... Like, stuff like that, I was just... And, again, that's another thing that annoys me when, when I hear those conversations. And I guess that could be, like, an injustice thing again. But when I see black men breaking down black women, mm -hmm. I cannot... I have zero or tolerance or for or that. Or vice versa? Or vice versa. Or maybe I feel like I... vice versa. Hmm? Yeah, maybe. But maybe you're not... You don't hear it as much. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I've seen more of... Okay, this this is this is what I've observed, and I could be completely wrong, but this is just what I've computed. The black men, the breakdown breakdown black women, are for a different reason than when black women break down black men. So black men break down black women that I've seen anyway. Often, maybe it's just because they they're bad communicators. Okay. So. But what I hear is because they just see them as whether it's I've heard someone say because they're just angry all the time or they say that they don't act right <laughs> in whatever situation or that they've had bad experience with other black women or they don't have a good relationship with their mother or, mm -hmm. or any of those kind of things, right? Often, well, not often, but some of the times when I've heard black women's reason for not dating black men is because they're not getting checked by black men in the first place. Mm -hmm. So it's not in their power. Um, or it's because of the way black men have treated them. Um, and they've kind of got to the point where they're kind of fed up with that rejection um, or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. And like I said, this is just what the conversations that personally I've had so it could be completely different on a global sense, but it's just the reasoning behind it just seems to be very different. And so that's why it annoys me more when I hear the reasons why black men don't date black women. I'm like, why are you painting them like that in the first place? Like, why? Anyway, maybe go down that road. But um, it's yeah, a, it's, a, it's a good road to go down sometimes in mm. our assessment of our society and our community. Exactly, and I, th I, th I, th I mean, I could really talk about this for days in terms of why that could be, whether it's, whether it's um recent, medium or historical re reasons, why we're at a stage where people where they feel like that, but, for me personally, I just got no time for it, hmm. especially when it's within the our communities. Yeah, do, bad do, enough. Do you still speak to that guy? Zero idea, zero idea what he's doing right now. Um, but he just caught me off guard. And the thing that kills me as well is when people who clip put label themselves as woke, 
have that same viewpoint. And I'm like, nah, fam. <laughs> you want to go to sleep? Yeah, like, I mean, it's one thing falling in love with who you, who you like. Like, that's, that's another conversation. But actively rejecting an mm-hmm. entire demographic. That you are from. That you are claiming to protect and all that kind of stuff. The end that you are from makes zero sense to me. Mm. But, um, yeah, and anyone who's listening who's, like, on that fence and stuff, come for me. I'm ready. It's just self-hate comes in many forms. Yo, that's a whole other conversation. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, okay, something that makes me a bit more happy and amazing. Okay, <clears> right, <throat> yeah. What makes you feel loved? We're coming towards the end of this, so, you know. What makes me feel loved? Mm-hmm. To be loved! Apart from to singing. To be loved! Wow, what a feeling! <laughs> to be loved! Can't deal with you. <laughs> Someone to share. <laughs> oh, no! Someone no to singing! Alright, sorry, okay, right. What makes me feel loved? Do you know, okay, so we got the five love languages, right? Yeah. If I was to use that as a metric, mm-hmm. um, words of affirmation, uh, I'm like Teflon to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I I don't really, I affirm myself pretty constantly. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I am topped up on the daily. Um, but I do appreciate it when someone gives me words of affirmation, like telling me um, good things mm-hmm. and stuff, you know, saying that I'm God's gift and all that. Oh, okay. Um, in terms of um, gifts, I'm I'm not really a materialistic person. Oh, you're literally going through every single... Absolutely. <laughs> People listening may not know about the love languages, and there's five of them, so let's okay. go. So Receiving gifts. Words of affirmation, not so much for me. Receiving gifts, not really. Mm. Um, I'm not very materialistic. I very rarely shop, and I, I'd much rather just walk around naked and stuff. So wow, in terms he of, went right there. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Like, freedom. Again... I wouldn't have to worry about it because I'm successful. <laughs> so, um, but I do appreciate gifts, but I just don't necessarily like roll for them. Um, the next three though are what really kind of like gets me. Um, acts of service, I think, are is one of my biggest ways of of understanding receiving love. Like, and the difference between acts of service and gifts is like if I was to use plantain, right? Mm. It would be like saying like uh i bought you plantain mm-hmm. is a gift mm-hmm. right acts of service would be i cooked, I cooked you, you plantain. plantain i know you want oh. plantain if someone gave oh. you an uncooked plantain you were like thanks but like, what you want me <laughs> me to cook it myself <laughs> nonsensical business but yeah acts of service is just when they do things and it's not just about doing things but it's doing things that specifically you will appreciate mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it means the world to me when people do that. Um, what are the other ones again? Mm-hmm. So we have quality time and quality physical time. touch. Listen, don't even. Quality time. I had a whole period of time when I was like gassed looking through my phone because like, every message was like, so when are we meeting up? Mm. And I'm as much as I try and build my online presence, it would only really, it only really exists because of marketing for like a lot of the stuff I do with dance and uh, become and all this kind of stuff if it wasn't for all that stuff and if I was just Andre I wouldn't really use it too much I'd much prefer just meeting people in person all the time I, I feel like there's so much that's lost from a digital connection that you can only really get with a physical connection and I'm a hugger which leads me on to the fifth one physical touch <laughs> do not freak out if we talk and my hand just rests on your shoulder 
or like I'll meet complete strangers with hugs. Your and when I age, hug, you can find I, yourself arrested very quickly. Listen, if I hug long enough, you you'll get it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know what that means. I'm too scared to ask. But like little things, like for example, if I hug, I I squeeze. Mm-hmm. Like I want people to know that that I'm I'm present in mm-hmm. that hug. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And like it 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 makes all the difference to me. So yeah, physical touch, quality time acts of service mm. are like the ways that I uh, it, I receive it and then do you think that those are therefore the ways that you portray love I think I think by default yeah mm. but I I'm I'm learning to try and be perceptive of how other people receive it mm-hmm. which may not be the same way as it for those people who are reading it there's ways to give and receive and they mm-hmm. may not be the same thing it's like languages hence mm-hmm. the love languages yeah um but yeah i'm trying to be more aware with people so that i'm i'm giving it to them in a way that they will recognize it mm. that's that's the uh, the real the real art it is an art it's, it's a skill mm. it, it takes time it takes perception it takes being aware mm. and it takes patience as well a little bit of sacrifice absolutely um okay we're going to round up soon i want you to quickly tell me what what become means to you and then we're going to do a couple of quick fire cheese okay questions. become it has become my entire world mm-hmm. to be honest with you i think it's something um that was given to me mm. uh i don't think it's something that is almost I genuinely feel like it's not mine. I think it's something that existed or it was a God given idea. Like mm. I l- quite literally woke up with the idea in my head. Mm. So it's not something I just kinda like made from nothing. Um it started off as it's it's an expression, it's a way for me to do something about issues that are passionate that I'm passionate about. Um, it's a way for me to share my thoughts and feelings and see other people's perception about identity, um, this feeling of cultural displacement that I felt being in the UK. Um, and I realised other people feel as well in different um, areas. Like, it started off as a performance um, and that basically resonated with a lot of people, so I turned it into talks. From there, I got Arts, Arts Council funding and, and took it to Sierra Leone as, and uh, with the festival, the National Storytelling Festival with um, Patriotic Advocacy Network and Yusuf Jalo. And then it turned into empowerment seminars that we're doing over in Sierra Leone as well. And it's even now turned into um, a lease on a property that we're calling Become Home. Um, and it's just like the world's the oyster in terms of it. I just feel like it's a way for me to, like I said, an artivist in the sense that I don't, I really get frustrated going around in circles without the intention of finding solutions. Like sometimes people are cool with that. Like I used to think that about uncles when they're like around the table and every year they have the same conversation (laughs) about politics and they don't do anything about it Mm. and they don't really seem to have the intention to fix Mm. the problem. Um, but for me, I'm just not built like that. Like, if there's something that's really um, bugging me or something that's really on my heart, I really try and think of... It's either I do something about it or I forget about it. Okay. Um, and become has just been, like, a conglomerate, like, just an umbrella that I'm using to 
to deal with all separate segments of things that I'm I'm passionate about. Mm. So it's my expression, it's my outlet, but it's also a way for me to give back and a way to for me to provide impact and value in the world. It's mm. something that I'm trying to design for it to still exist generations after I'm gone. Mm. Um, and it's something where, as an idea, I think um, it's probably one of the most powerful ones I've had so far. Mm. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Thanks. I like okay. So. Some quick fire ones and we'll end up because we're okay, cool. over time. Right. Uh, chips or chocolate? Chips. Oh, oh my gosh. Mm. Rice or plantain? Oh, why is that going to me? <laughs> plantain. Oh. Ghana or Nigeria? Uh, Ghana. Only because I've been there before. I've never been to Nigeria. Okay. Love or power? Love. Beach or mountains? Hey! Beach. Finally, where is home? Wherever I'm standing. Okay. We're done. Cheers! Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wow, I I feel like I could... I'm practically sweating. (laughs) This, This whole thing has been so intense. Do you know, I don't like being on this side, you know. It's a brilliant for you. Now you know. Now th- you know. Do you know Maybe you learned some stuff about yourself. It's possible. It's very possible. I think I prefer being the interviewer, though. <laughs> I, I, I prefer that side of things. It's, it's, it's dope being on this side, but boy, the pressure is real, 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 real. Okay, wicked. We're done. Thank We're you done. for your time. Thank you for interviewing me. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for the random singing. Oh, well, there's plenty more where that came okay, from. Okay, goodbye. Okay, until next time. (laughs) (laughs) Don't make it a song. (laughs) All right, deuces. And that was it. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed it and got some value from it. Um, If you want more info, you can go to www.becomeimmersive.co.uk. That's www.becomeimmersive.co.uk. If you have any questions or queries or you want to just give us a shout out, go to um, becomeimmersive at gmail.com or info at becomeimmersive.co.uk. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. This is The Lion Learns to Write, reclaiming our narrative through identity, empowerment and creativity. So let's do that. Have an amazing day and see you next episode. Peace. Peace.